You're listening to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast, where we firmly believe food should fuel your life, not restrict it. Each week, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists will motivate and educate you with accurate and reliable nutrition information to help you achieve your health goals using food. Whether you struggle with yo-yo dieting, weight loss, portion control, or simply just understanding the right eating patterns to get real, lasting results, you're in the right place. I'm Dietitian Kate, nutrition expert, ex-cardio bunny turned barbell junkie, and your host for today's episode. Are you ready to dive in? We are talking about personal accountability on today's podcast. So if this is interesting to you, be sure to stick around for the entirety of the episode because it's not just my voice that you get to hear today. It's also... Megan (laughs) is here back again. This coronavirus has given me an excuse to be on the podcast more. So hopefully you guys are happy about it. (laughs) Two weeks. I'm happy about it. I like talking to somebody else. somebody to talk to. (laughs) Not just the wall (laughs) or somebody on Zoom, which is always fun. I like talking to people, you know, in our field and having good conversations, but... Unfortunately, it's just not possible right now to constantly meet up with these people, especially if they live in different states. I mean, I'm not going to have, you know, fly somebody out to talk on our podcast. Not yet. It's not big enough yet. (laughs) So why are we talking about accountability? Because it's a hot topic. And because we have some clients who are just kicking butt, taking names. They're holding themselves accountable. They're doing all the things they need to do. And then we've got other ones who are kind of scrambling all over the place, trying to find a way to stay accountable to their goals, and they're, they're a little bit of at a loss. So we wanted to speak to both groups and provide some insight and hopefully help the listeners and help you guys figure out ways to stay accountable to your goals and figure out a system that's really going to work in your favor. Yeah, I think because this is such uncharted territory for everybody right now, like none of us are, are, an, are experts. We've never gone through this before. I think you and I have both tried to find correlations between the clients that are doing really well and the ones that aren't to figure out what are the things that the clients that are doing really well are doing that we can help other people to incorporate so offhand can you think of anything that is in common with your clients that are doing well right now the ones that have a routine that they're committed to seem to just set themselves up for success or the ones that are actively trying to create routines. Even if they're just kind of a simple system of steps they take every morning to take care of themselves and to prioritize their health, that just sets their day up for success. They feel a little bit less anxious about everything because they've accomplished a to-do list. They've got a system that's working for them. It's how they just set up their day. If they've got routines in place and they've got tasks that they're committed to, maybe in a sequential order, they seem to be the most successful. Yeah, I see. If people that are making the health and wellness aspect of their lives a non-negotiable, I had a conversation with someone yesterday who's having trouble getting active and he's, you know, gone out for a run here and there, but hasn't really been able to maintain any semblance of a routine. And it's because it's it's a yes or no every day. Like, he makes a decision every day, like, am I going to do this or not? And most days he's choosing not to do it. Whereas in his previous life, <laughs> before all this, he was done with work at 7 p.m. And when he was done with work, he went to the gym. 
It was just something he never really had to think about. He didn't ask himself, am I going today or am I not going today? He just went. Whereas now it's like, you get to choose. <laughs> so we, we try to make a goal for him that, you know, similar to what he was doing before, as soon as he is done with work by 5 p.m., he's putting his shoes on to go out for a run. And we didn't focus on the amount of time he's going to be out there or the number of miles he's going to run. It's just you're going to be outside by 5 p.m. every single day you're outside by 5 p.m. It's non-negotiable. It's not a yes or no. It's not, I had a really hard day or I'm low on energy or whatever. It's just your shoes are on by 5 p.m. and that's it. There's a lot of power when you take away that opportunity to talk yourself out of doing something. I find that a lot of people find their biggest struggle if they keep pushing something off. They know that they're going to exercise that day. They know they're going to meal prep or whatever it is. And the longer they push it off or they don't give themselves a set time or deadline, they find all of these ways to talk themselves out of it and then justify it. They almost subconsciously look for an excuse not to do what they said they were gonna do because it's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's not fun, whatever. And then they create little stories to support yep. this excuse. Like, well, I was gonna go out for my run at five o'clock, but now it's kind of drizzling outside and it might rain. And you know, I am kind of tired. I did work hard today. There was that extra little pressure from Susie from accounting. And I just, I ran a little bit past five because of that. When you eliminate all of that opportunity that your mind has to talk yourself out about doing something, that's when you can get things done more efficiently. And by the time you you know, would have talked yourself out of it, the time you would have spent talking yourself out of it, you can just go and actually get the work done. Yeah, I think that's why morning routines are so important. At least for me, when I switched my workouts from 7.30 p.m. to 7 a.m., I was so much more consistent because I wasn't even thinking about it. I'd wake up at 6.30 and I'd just get out the door. It wasn't a thought in my head of like, should I go today or should I not go? But if I waited till 7.30 p.m., all oh, those excuses, they just mount up and up and up. Um, so for me, I think that's, you know, similar to the struggle I talked about with my client. It was one of those things where every day here at home, I'm kind of saying like, mm, well, I don't really need to do this right now, but I've recently recommitted to myself that like, you need to act like it's a normal day. You need to be out there at 7am thinking up, a, a, thinking up a workout for yourself. And it's, it's just not negotiable. Sure. If you're somebody who finds that they are constantly finding ways to talk themselves out of doing things, don't be afraid to call yourself out on your excuse making. If you are finding with your own self that you are procrastinating or you have some kind of, I don't want to call it a character flaw, but you have some kind of trait that's keeping you from doing all the things you say you're going to do. Look yourself in the mirror and don't be afraid to call yourself out because when you can recognize things that are your weaknesses, that gives you an opportunity to change them and to grow from them. So if you're hearing this, I mean, you're hearing me and Megan say, okay, we find that if we don't get things done sooner in the morning, if we keep putting them off later in the day, we're less likely to get them done. Well, we noticed that about ourselves and so we found corrective action. That's a good thing. And if you think about it in terms of evolution, we evolve to want to do less. Your body doesn't want you to go run up a mountain for no reason. It wants you to conserve energy. So if given a choice, there's a reason why you want to lay on the couch. There's a reason why you don't want to go do hill sprints right now. And you would rather watch Netflix. Like that, you, there's nothing to feel bad about. Like you're not a lazy person. You're not a piece of shit. It's just 
your normal your body trying to survive and the reason why it tries to conserve energy is because if it's not conserving energy and it's just utilizing energy constantly that means you would have to hunt and gather more which also requires more energy so from a from an evolution standpoint you'd have to go and find enough food to be able to maintain all of those activities so it doesn't really make sense now because we have food everywhere (laughs) but our bodies are still in that mode where we want to conserve we want to conserve we want to conserve and until you get into that motion where okay this is just something that i do every day and you get used to that habit it is going to be hard to tell your body no it's not time to take a nap it's not time to lay around it is time to go do something active and i know we're talking about activity but you know having somebody to keep you accountable just yesterday I was talking to my mom about how I've been slacking on my workouts and she was like get your ass together like go do something and I was like oh okay (laughs) yeah because I I don't know why I just expected her to be like it's okay like for you to take a break you know things are weird right now you're dealing with a lot no she was like um go do a workout then that excuse of things are weird right now is going to push me over the edge. That is not an excuse. It's a reality, but it's not an excuse. I think that's such a good point that you make and how you almost expected your mom to (laughs) coddle you in that sense, because it's the motherly role. But that kind of plays a role into what you were saying before. If you kind of have to play your own parent sometimes and think about, okay, if you're little kid like let's say you're a parent or maybe you're a dog owner or whatever if this little thing that's depending on you is saying i just want to lay around and watch tv all day mom like i don't want to go outside and play like i don't want to do my chores i don't want to do my homework you're going to say no you need to do your homework and you need to do your chores because this is what humans do this is your job this is your responsibility you're not going to let that kid just lay around and watch tv all day because what's that going to serve the kid that's not going to help him or her do anything it's not going to help him or her succeed in school or become a functioning member of society but when it comes to our own selves it's really funny how we can just forget about that we can make up (laughs) excuses for ourselves not to do chores or to do our work and just lay around all day so kind of parenting yourself and teaching your mind to be your advocate and instead of your worst enemy Yeah, let's talk about some pros and cons of some really common methods of accountability. Let's jump into that. Well, since we are dietitians, one of the biggest things is going to be tracking, tracking food. There are a lot of pros and there are a lot of cons. And everything that we always do comes back to looking at the individual and personalizing a plan to fit their lifestyle and mental health. Because there are some people who might find that tracking calories could be very triggering or tracking food, not even looking at the numbers, could be very triggering. It could make them feel like they are spiraling spiraling down towards a path of disordered eating. It might make them feel trapped. It might make them feel pressured. But then there's a complete opposite type of person who likes that kind of accountability because it helps them feel more organized. It helps them know what the next step is. It takes away that opportunity to justify eating something that might not serve them the way they want it to. So it's it's figuring out what kind of person are you and what kind of system is going to work best for you based on a multitude of factors. Have you found that there are certain characteristics that stick out in people that can kind of give you a clue on what might work for them in terms of tracking or planning meals? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just like different careers are appropriate for different people. Like, There are accountants out there and there are people that absolutely hate looking at numbers 
And I'm one of those people that don't really enjoy looking at numbers. They don't give me any joy. I don't like graphs. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that kind of person, but people who are in any kind of like mathematical, analytical, engineers, accountants, bankers, investors, those types of people tend to really like using a MyFitnessPal type program that either counts calories or macros or fibers or sugars. Um, or I've seen a lot of them, especially the engineers, come up with their own tracking system and like the Excel sheets where they're <laughs> you know, going through and, and kind of making up their, their own stuff. And I think that type of person who really likes the numbers and the data and the graphs, they tend to do really well and feel like they are out of control if they're not tracking something. If they don't have data to back up what they're doing, they don't feel like it's working. Um, on the other side of that, if you know everything there is to know about your food, if I can put a plate in front of you and you can guesstimate within 100 calories how many calories <laughs> that plate has, or if you've done 56 different diets and counted your macros in 100 different ways, tracking may not be the best thing for you. Um, if you tend to get obsessive about food, if you tend to put things in a tracker and then the only thing you can think about is the next meal, if you tend to make all of your decisions based on whether that's fitting in with your calories or macros or whatever it is, then doing something more like a food and mood journal would be more appropriate where you're not grading yourself on the numbers, but you're asking yourself about the emotions and the situations of eating food, of Am I actually hungry right now? Was that meal satisfying? Did I eat that and I was hungry an hour later? So more on, the, so if you're more of a feeler kind of a person, the food and mood journal can actually give us more so-called data to look at and find patterns in emotional eating or patterns in foods or meals that you eat that aren't really nutritious in terms of fueling your specific body. Um, so those are a few clues that you can, I mean, for me personally, I, you would think in the field that I'm in, I would want to know all the data, but I'm not a good tracker. If I track more than one or two days, I get very obsessive and I'll set these specific goals for myself and I'll be like, I want to do this experiment. If I do this, this, and this, and I do this for two weeks, what's going to happen? And I'll be all gung-ho about it. And then by day three, it's like, I can't stop eating. <laughs> and I don't do well with that. And I do much better if I can just tune into the signals that my body is giving me and really know whether I'm hungry or not versus I'm only paying attention to what my fitness pal tells me. If we go back to elementary school science class, we forget that there's not just quantitative data, that number data, qualitative data can also be just as beneficial. And so when you talk about those food and mood journals and feeling and tapping into your hunger cues, that's qualitative data. It's still quality. It's going to give you information to help base your decisions off of. So you don't have to obsessively or meticulously, depending on your outlook on it, 
track mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market every single thing that you're reading and just view the numbers or view the changes of inches on your waist i mean you can look at quality data you can look at how are you feeling what's your hunger like what's your changes in mood what are you looking like in in the mirror how are your clothes fitting how confident are you feeling compared to before that's still valuable data that you can use to track and measure progress so regardless of you know, somebody's perspective, whether they're a numbers person or a quality, or a quality data person, I find it really ha- helpful for anybody to set up some sort of system of accountability based on their needs to track change over time. So if we are doing it with a numbers method, fine, that's great, that's awesome. If we're doing it from a quality data perspective where we're looking at changes in mood and energy and confidence and feeling, that's just as valid. And I think one of the, if you're really not sure what type of person you are, if you don't know a lot about food, I think my fitness pal or a tracker like that can really help you to learn more about your food on the day to day. If you're like, oh, holy shit, that sauce has 700 calories. I had no idea it was going to be like that. And you maybe do that for a few months. That's great. Mm -hmm. And once you feel like you're in the rhythm and you can kind of follow that pattern, you don't have to do it every single day forever. Just use it as a tool for as long as you need to use it. And it would no longer serve this purpose. You can put it away, put it on the shelf for a while. If you need to come back to it, fine. Or maybe you need to try a different method, maybe moving more into something where you're freehanding just when you need to, just when you're noticing certain things. And this can help for things like if you think you have some kind of a reaction to food or an intolerance to food freehanding those notes of "Mm, today you know wasn't such a great day digestion wise here's what else was going on in my life because a lot of times when I have clients that have digestion issues it's not about the food yeah it's stress (laughs) (laughs) what else is going on (laughs) in life that day So, you know, if I have a a client who's a teacher and she's like, man, every time I eat this sandwich for lunch that I take for lunch, I end up having diarrhea or I end up having stomach pain. And really, we figure out that it's on those days where you get a parent call and the the parent's yelling at you and you're in your car crying. That's when you're having those stomach issues. It's not from the bread on the sandwich. You know what I love about that method? It's almost like people are playing detective. Exactly. I was talking with a client the other day. She was a new client and we framed it as, okay, this isn't you tracking your food. This is not you following another diet because she had done all of those things like Weight Watchers, extreme diets. Um, I think she had just finished up low carb keto and was over it. And so the idea of tracking food was just not appropriate. It wasn't something that she was interested in. So tracking her feelings and her mood through a food and mood journal was a way to collect data like a detective would. It's looking for clues. It's trying to put two and two together. Why do you eat this way? Why do you turn to food whenever you're trying to cope? How can we find other ways to manage these feelings and manage these day-to-day stresses that are not going away? And that's another point I want to make because a lot of times you'll do a Google search and then, you know, you write how to stop stress eating. 
And these silly articles online or maybe Instagram posts will give you some what I call band-aid solutions. They say, oh, you know, just eliminate the triggers. Try to reduce the stress. Try to remove yourself from the situation. And for a long time, I was like, okay, that kind of makes sense until you try to implement that. Stress is always going to be there. You can't completely get rid of it. You have to change how you cope. And so when you start tracking your reactions and tracking your mood, that's when you can change your reaction because stress is inevitable. There's going to be new ones. And yeah, you can lessen lessen the degree of stress or the frequency of stress or maybe the impact of stress. But what you really have power to do and to control is how you react to it or react to these negative feelings. And if you're constantly turning to food, keeping a food mode journal can really help you leverage that opportunity to change how you react to stress. Yeah, I love that detective analogy. I had another client who had a ton of digestion issues, like really bad, was on a salesperson uh, in medical sales, had to be on the road a lot and had to know exactly where all the bathrooms were and would get very, anxious about going into surgery cases because he didn't know if he was going to have to run out of the room and go to the bathroom. It was really bad. And we played detective with him for probably three months before we figured out the trigger was alcohol. And it was, yeah. And he wasn't a big drinker. It was just like, you know, a beer here, a vodka soda there, like some different stuff on the weekends. But if he drank on, like went fishing with these buddies and drank six beers on a Sunday, it would affect him for five days, like the rest of that whole next week. And so that's why it was so hard to pinpoint what it was because it went on for so long. And so now I can say like, it's, it's probably a year and a half to two years out from when we worked together. And I just talked to him two, three days ago and he said like I'm still doing awesome like thank god we figured that out like as long as I don't drink everything's fine yeah that's amazing I bet I bet that's a trigger that a lot of people have and don't realize because if you think about when you're younger and you might be drinking a lot your body just can metabolize (laughs) alcohol a lot more efficiently than you do as you go through the lifespan as you get older I mean it's just a fact and maybe that's the same way with certain foods or certain emotions or whatever you might just have different kinds of coping mechanisms that you used when you were impressionable, when you were a kid or an adolescent or a young adult that you just carry on into adulthood. And so it's hard to identify those patterns and those triggers because they've just been a part of you for so long. You're Mm -hmm. just reacting to them differently or they're having some other kind of negative manifestation. Let's talk about another really hot hot button accountability method this the scale the scale man this is the most controversial <laughs> a form of equipment on planet <laughs> earth right i mean yeah. there are people who you know get upset if they go to the doctor and the doctor asks them to weigh themselves and i understand that but it's like it's a point of data it can be helpful but it can also be detrimental it just depends on your mindset and how you're using it yeah i think one of the ways you can tell is if, if you get on the scale and it ruins your entire day or your entire outlook on life for that day, I think it's time to take a step back from that and take a break from that because until you can manage that data in the right way for it not to affect your mental health, it's probably a not a great data point for you to pay attention to. 
um, until we can, because a lot of times that, that data point overwhelms all the others for people. So if we're monitoring things like your energy levels, your strength, um, how your workouts are going, your moods, your motivation, just how you're feeling about yourself overall, your confidence levels, and we can really get you paying attention to those data points and really trusting those data points, then the scale ends up meaning a lot less to you. Do I think you throw away the scale forever and you can never get on it again? No, but we just have to make sure that it holds less weight, so to speak, in your life. That was punny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say that because I noticed that, I mean, maybe you can relate to me with this. One of the hardest parts of our job, maybe my biggest frustration would be when I have someone who's just kicking ass and taking names and all of those realms that you're talking about. I mean, better energy, better mood, eating a more healthful diet. They're eating the right amounts of food for them, but that scale isn't moving the same way that they want it to move. It's not moving fast enough or it's not changing dramatically enough because they're so conditioned to think that, oh, I need to lose two pounds per week to be successful. If I'm doing less than that, then what I'm doing is not working. I should just give up. Yep. That's the hardest part. But the crazy thing is the people that I have that are the most successful and actually do see that scale go down or do have those body composition changes that they're after are the ones that don't put an emphasis on a scale. In fact, I was thinking of this daily accountability program client I have right now. It's our DAP program. And she messaged me two days ago and was like, oh, by the way, since we've started this one-on-one accountability program, I've lost 10 pounds, but I'm not really focusing on that. (laughs) Like I'm excited about it, but I'm not really focusing on it, you know? And I was like, what? <laughs> you, you didn't tell me this. But at the same time, I was so happy that she had this healthy mindset because every day when she checks in on me or checks in with me, probably I need someone to check in with me too, to be honest. <laughs> but when she checks in with me, it's always, I tried this new workout. I'm cooking my own meals and I'm appreciating what it's like to cook my own food and all of these amazing changes. And then it's like, oh, by the way, the scale moved 10 pounds. <laughs> it's like, right. you're not focusing on the scale. Maybe that's the secret sauce. Yeah. And now that you say that, I, I find that too. And I'll have an entire conversation throughout a whole follow-up, you know, a 30 minute follow-up of this whole conversation about how things are going. And then at the end, they're like, oh, and by the way, this is what I weigh. And I'm like, oh shit, really? (laughs) So yeah, those conversations definitely happen a lot. And when you, on the flip side of that, when they come in and the first thing that they mention is weight, you know, the conversation's not going to go in a good direction. Um, it's so it's, that's a really good point is like the more you focus on it, the less successful you're probably going to be. I think for most people, I would say the middle I don't know. I can't. I can't talk about graphs and stuff. What's the the mean, the average, oh God, whatever don't, average person? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, we are not those accountants, engineers that we were talking about before. But I feel like for most people, what's appropriate is to be aware of what you weigh, but not to an obs- an obsessive degree. Not where your whole day of eating is dependent on what you weigh that morning. It's, you know, okay, being aware of, okay, this is the range that I fluctuate in. This is kind of maybe my target based on what I want to look like, but it can't be the only thing that you care about. Yeah. And I, and again, like it's not right for everybody. My thought is kind of, I like to live in reality. So whether you know the number or not, that is what you weigh. So Mm. you know what I mean? It's, you're not changing anything by not knowing it. You're not changing anything by knowing it. So figuring out what's best for your mental health, whether that means 
putting the scale away for three months and seeing how your body reacts to this new dietary change, whether that means weighing yourself every Friday to just keep yourself in check. And I have some people who love getting on the scale every day. Like people, it's just part of their thing. Like they brush their teeth, they get on the scale. It doesn't affect them mentally in terms of like, oh, I'm going to go eat a donut right now or I can't eat breakfast this morning. It doesn't really affect them. It's just another data set point that they like to have and they love to look at that little graph and how things are going over time but if you're the kind of person that wants to do that you also have to be okay with it being up four pounds one day and not freaking out about it that's me i hate to admit it but i like (laughs) to look at my data i like to i don't weigh myself every day but especially if i know that there's a morning where i'm probably not gonna love what i see i'm like "Eh, i don't care to weigh myself today let's do it tomorrow but i'm one of those people that's kind of trained myself to take away a lot of the emphasis i put on the scale and i can kind of just look at it neutrally now and be like okay yeah and i just find it kind of interesting to see the daily fluctuations it's kind of fun when you look back at the month if you kind of i I like to put it in my phone Mm -hmm. and i can see i'm like oh this is such a beautiful representation of weight what it should look like it's not supposed to be well for some people they have really steady dates but for um or dates weights for most of us there are those little day-to-day fluctuations and i think it's kind of healthy to see those kinds of things at least from my perspective to see okay not every day i'm going to weigh within the same five ounces Right. It's going to go up and down. That's normal. Right, exactly. So if you can use the scale as just one part of you measuring your success, okay, let's figure out a way that you can use it in a way that's healthy. If you're the type of person that you get obsessive about it, just like if you get obsessive about tracking in MyFitnessPal, it's probably time to divorce yourself from the scale for a while and really tune into those other set points mm-hmm. that matter before you reintroduce that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. There are definitely times where you want to just put it away and start to focus and get back into tune with your own body cues. Because a lot of times with data tracking, whether it is in MyFitnessPal or with the scale, that kind of trains us to stop paying attention to more important things than just our weight. If our energy is shit and we have no motivation to get up and do anything, we are just kind of slugging through life because we want to weigh a certain weight and we're trying to lose weight, well, then we're ignoring these cues that our body is hungry and tired and needs better quality energy if we're so hyper-focused on just eating calories. So if that's your focus and you aren't even aware that, oh, it's not normal to drag myself out of bed every morning and not want to get up and face the day every single day, then you might need to take a step back and evaluate where's your focus? What are your priorities? And how can we change that? Let's talk about negative consequences as a form of accountability. Is this something that you've used in your life or with any of your clients that you're coaching? For my life, no, because it doesn't motivate me. So (laughs) let's kind of explain to people what a negative consequence would be. And and you explain it to me in a context of how you used it once where you had somebody who set a goal for themselves and it was an action goal. It wasn't like, if I don't lose this amount of weight, it was, Mm -hmm. if I don't do this, if I don't take mm-hmm. action in this form it was something then, they could clearly do or not do yeah it, yeah it, exactly it wasn't like something that could just be easily influenced by a, a fluke which would be you know your weight <laughs> but if um he didn't follow through with what he said he was going to do he had to donate money to a campaign or a charity that he didn't like or was it a sports team i think oh one it was donald him. trump so <laughs> a sports team I did yes I've done I've done this many times with clients that um 
So basically, what I try to help uh, help them figure out is whether they are motivated by positive reinforcements, like a gift. So let's say you say you're going to eat three vegetables a day for the next 30 days. I'm just making something up. If you do that, you get to buy yourself a new pair of Lulu yoga pants. So are you more motivated by that? And you will hit that goal because you know at the end of 30 days you get new Lulu pants. Or would it motivate you more if at the end of that 30 days you have to take those $90 that were going to those Lulu pants and you have to donate it to something that you hate? So this one person hated Donald Trump, everything about Donald Trump. So I would send her pictures of Donald Trump's face throughout the month (laughs) to remind her that if you're not doing the stuff that we agree that you're going to do, your $50 is going to Trump's campaign at the end of that. And that was much more motivating to her than to give herself a reward. Because a lot of times, like, if you know you're just going to buy it anyways, it's just not super motivating. So for a lot of people, having something taken away from them and figuring out what their pain point was. So for this person, she was a teacher, you know, she wasn't making a million dollars a year. So it was, you know, money is a pain point for her. So let's take that pain point, something that actually matters to you and put it towards something else that you dislike. So if, if money isn't a pain point for you, I had another client who at the end of the day, like most of us, she likes to watch her show and she would do that in the evenings, but she was having a hard time being active. So she would go straight from sitting at her desk all day to the couch and then start snacking. And so in order to break that chain of things, we said three times a week before you go sit on the couch, you need to go outside and do two laps around your neighborhood. And so she would keep a whiteboard and keep the amount of times that she would go outside and do those laps. And if she didn't go do those laps, she did not get to watch her show. So it was taking something away. And because that was a pain point for her, that was her reward at the end of the day, she was much more motivated to do that than if we said, oh, you get to watch three hours of your show if you go around. Because she was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So, so it's, it's, a, it's difficult to find the things that are pain points for people. For a few people, it's been their rival college, like donating to their rival college. So for someone that goes to FSU, like donating to UF. For someone that goes to Ohio State, donating to Michigan. Oh, gross. Gross <laughs> even thinking about doing something like that. But if you don't care about something like that, that's not going to be a good enough negative consequence for you. So what's something that you care about that you could take away and then you set this goal that you've been trying to go towards and you haven't been able to hit yet and see if that's a motivator for you? Or is there something you really want, a vacation, something you want to buy, something you want to do, something you want to give to yourself and would that motivate you more? And that's kind of how you figure out whether you're influenced by negative consequences or positive reinforcements. That reminds me of a question I heard once and it was, do you which one do you prefer Uh, i mean let me try to rephrase that do you hate to lose more than you love to win that's interesting and it's kind of interesting to hear people's response and most people have to kind of think through it a few times so that can kind of help you decide okay if you hate losing more than you love to win like if losing it makes you sick and nauseous and the idea of losing a competition just makes you so much angrier than winning a competition makes you happy Mm -hmm. well then you know maybe you're going to thrive off of that negative consequence maybe you need something there to make you make the threat of losing very real versus if you love to win and that's what motivates you and you want to win the game not lose it well then you should find something that's going to make you sprint harder and faster so you win 
Nazi lose? That's such a good question. And that correlates very well, like personally to me, because I honestly don't care about losing. I almost like expect to lose at most things, but I'm very surprised if I'm number one at something and then it makes me really happy. And I'm way more motivated by positive influence. Like you get a new computer if you reach your monetary goals for the first three months of the year. Like that motivates me. Like I want to get that new computer. But if I said to myself, like you have to take something away from you, that makes me angry. Like I don't like to follow rules. Like I don't, it just, that doesn't motivate me. So that question is a really good question that you could ask yourself if you're not sure. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I hate to lose. (laughs) And I, I know monetary things have never, ever really mattered to me when it comes to reaching a goal. Like if someone said like, you can buy a new pair of Lululemon pants if you win, or I'm going to take away your Lululemon pants if you lose, neither of those things are going (laughs) to motivate me to take action. And I didn't realize that for the longest time because I was like, this seemed like a trophy seems to work for other people or losing out on money seems to work for other people, but it doesn't for me. And I kind of had to find, okay, what makes me move? What makes me take action? What makes me not want to lose? And I found that it's all intrinsic for me. I hate that if I write on paper, this is what I'm going to do today. This is the goal I'm going to reach. And I don't do it. And I am laying in bed at night and I'm watching TV. I feel like such a fucking loser. And it might not be the most healthy mindset, but it haunts me. And the next day, I'm not going to let myself feel that way again. The best example I can think of is if I have a really productive day and then I go out with my friends or I do something and I stay up late and the next day I'm just worthless because I'm so tired. I don't, you know, I'm just, then I won't do things like I normally would. And all day I just have this like talk with myself. I'm like, you lazy bum. (laughs) Like this sucks. Why aren't you doing this? And that motivates me to kick it in gear. So for me, it's, it's intrinsic and other people, it's extrinsic, and some people, it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can definitely be both by far. I mean, there are extrinsic rewards that do excite me still. I mean, I'm not completely a psycho, but <laughs> that's what's that's the number one thing that I found in myself that's going to push me forward, and, and that's just how I feel. I don't want to feel like a loser. Yeah, and I, I think that correlates back to where we started this conversation and figuring out that the people that are doing really well are figuring out like how to keep themselves accountable. And so so for a lot of my clients, they've been very self-motivated throughout this entire process. And I've checked in on them and they're like, I'm doing great. Like this, is, and I don't really need you right now. I'm like, okay, awesome, cool. Like moving on. And then there's been some people that have said like, the only reason I'm doing this is because I know I'm about to talk to you in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So those, you know, being able to recognize whether you need someone on your team, whether you're hiring someone to do that, whether, you know, the, the one client that I'm thinking of, she does really well with accountability from other people. She went and hired an online trainer through this process, even though she can go do workouts on her own. She's done millions and millions of workouts and she could write her own workouts if she wanted to. But she decided, you know what? I'm going to hire somebody. They're going to give me workouts for five days a week. And then I have this person checking in on me and I'm going to do them. I'm going to keep talking with you every two weeks without this process, throughout this process, even though I know how to eat healthy. I know the things that I need to be doing. I know what my goals are but I also know I'm much more likely to do them if I have somebody checking in on me in in this time frame at least so I think knowing like whether you are motivated by yourself or and you can set goals and you can be accountable to them or whether you need to employ someone else whether it's hiring them or just saying like to your significant other or your mom or whoever is actually going to hold you accountable and not coddle you for sure 
and you if you have some kind of judgment against that i feel like a lot of people might feel bad if they need someone to hold them accountable actively work to remove that stigma like you should not feel shameful for needing someone to hold you accountable we do that in all areas of our life in some areas in your life you won't need an accountability buddy you might not need an accountability buddy to be a good dog owner you just do it because it's something that is important to you and you value but then at work you need someone to hold you accountable to certain deadlines it's just there's some areas where you don't need someone to give you as much structure because you can just naturally do it. And then there's other areas where you need that structure. And I find that to be true in my life. So kind of figuring out, all right, in which situations, and we're going to talk in the context of health and wellness and nutrition here, in this context, how do you do your best? And what is the condition in which you do your best? Do you need that accountability? Do you need a little bit of pressure? Do you need some competition? Do you need specific goals to meet? Do they need to be quantitative, qualitative? And that's what we do when we work with clients. We sit down and we figure out your own personal code, I guess. <laughs> we help you figure out, okay, what's the system in which you're going to operate the best. Do you need close accountability, or at least to start? Or do you want to be set off free and not be felt like you're being parented by someone, but need those regular check-ins to answer questions and stay on track? Yeah, there is definitely nothing to be embarrassed about in terms of asking for help. If you if you talk to anybody who's at the top of their game in any field, whether it's business or in a sport, wherever, they've all had mentors, they've all had coaches. Like the one thing that you could say people have in common, like, yeah, some people have morning routines, some people have night routines, some people are really on top of their nutrition, some people have never worked out in their life, but all of those people, whether they're a scientist, a marine biologist, it doesn't matter. They've all had a mentor or a coach that's helped them get there that they've learned from and that's helped to hold them accountable yeah professors parents friends role models those are all forms of mentors and accountability whether they're present with you or not and we recognize that in a lot of people because we've both needed accountability in areas of our life i know when i first got interested in nutrition and fitness and things like that i needed someone to hold me accountable or i needed a written plan to get me started to help me build structure and build these habits and that's a lot of what our clients need, which is why we have that daily accountability program where people can check in with us every single day for 30-day chunks to make sure that they're building these habits and learning how their accountability or how to hold themselves accountable for the rest of their lives. Because maybe it is frequent checkups with a coach or a mentor or a dietitian, or maybe they just need to put a system in place that holds themselves accountable. So that's what we do in that DAP program, that daily accountability program. Yep. And the client that I was talking about that hired the trainer, she did the DAP program for one month and we figured out what motivated her throughout that month. We figured out what her specific goals were throughout that month, the things that she needed to continue to do throughout that month. And now she's doing that on her own. But then also like we'll still have a conversation every two or three weeks. And then she's working with the trainer now. So that DAP program is really good for figuring these things out on the day to day if you don't already know that about yourself and we look for those patterns. Yep. 
it's really fun. I love the daily accountability <laughs> program because I feel like I even learn about myself from it too, just by having conversations with clients and seeing so many different perspectives of here's how I feel on this day. And this is what happened that kept me from doing X, Y, Z. Here's how I'm going to do it next time and do better and, and keep myself accountable. And sometimes we come up with a plan the first week that we think is going to kick butt and it just kind of fizzles out. So it gives us an opportunity before the person wants to give up or throw in the towel to reevaluate and try something else and it works beautifully. I had a DAP client who was just gung-ho at the beginning. It was awesome, super motivated, wanted to take on the world. It was really fun and exciting. Kicked butt for a few days and then kind of felt burnt out. And so we realized like, oh, you're an all or nothing kind of person. You're the kind of person that's going to go balls to the wall or nothing at all. And we got to find a good in-between because this system, this pattern has not worked for you for years. And so we found a good medium where she gives herself three non-negotiables every single day that have to do with her health. Not 10, not nothing, three, because it's very doable. It's a bit challenging. And if she does more then awesome, great. That's, that's even better bonus points. But there's three non-negotiables every day, whether that's hydration, whether that's getting 20 minutes of movement, making sure she doesn't skip a healthy lunch, overcoming cravings, intermittent fasting, whatever it is for her, that's what she does three days. And they can be different. And that's a system that works. It's a little accountability tool that she can take with her even after we finish daily accountability. Cool. Well, that's about it for accountability. Any last little things that you want to add? Any other little notes? I think the biggest thing is to, I know we ha- we hammer this home all the time, figuring out what nutrition pattern or what pattern of eating works best for you as an individual and not feeling bad or guilty if whatever your cousin is doing isn't working for you. Same thing with accountability. Don't just follow something because you see like, Mr. CrossFitter of the world doing it and this is exactly what he does so you need to be doing that too. You need to do the work to figure out what's going to work best for you and know that you will evolve over time and so that thing that you did 10 years ago may not be relevant to you and your lifestyle now. So look at it in the same way that you look at food, your exercise patterns, your accountability methods, especially during this time, maybe they need to change. If something's not working, don't be a afraid to switch it up and don't feel guilty if what worked for you before isn't working now. Well, thanks guys so much for listening to this episode. If you guys want to hear us talk about anything in specific, wow, I can't speak. Let us know if you <laughs> let us know if you have a topic that you want us to talk about. I mean, we can get into a lot of interesting things with our clients. This is something that we've been talking a lot about over the past few weeks, so we wanted to talk with you guys about it as well so just let us know if there's anything out there that you want to you want to hear about true all All right. right later guys thank you for listening i hope this episode was helpful for topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest please email kate at orlandodietitian.com want more nutrition awareness Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real and keep it healthy.